right. Our kids are dismissed to go out to the back. That's the back. See Molly back there waving to you. All right. And um, my wire's flipping out on me for some reason. It's going to be distracting to you. Okay, so um, as we get started here, I, I feel like we need to do something a little bit different than normal. Um, Rick McGue used my mic, I think, the other week, and I think he stretched it out. <laughs> he has more knowledge than I do, so... Um, I want to pray. I want to start with prayer. I want to pray for uh, Aaron Struble. Um, he's uh, currently in the hospital with some, something that they're not sure yet what it is, so in the abdomen. But I want to lift him up in prayer. Um, but, you know, as we're seeing people walk in this morning <coughs> and uh, knowing that there are a lot of things going on in a lot of different people's lives, um, as I lift up Aaron, I also just want to lift up um, you all and, and whatever is going on and some of you I know what's going on some of you I, I don't um, but I'm going to invite you um, as I pray if you would if you feel led and you feel like you need prayer and you you are just in a place where you need God to move in your life or in a situation that you're dealing with or grieving a loss or just struggling to understand, would you just stand where you're at and just, um, and I'll just, and I'm not going to call you out or anything, I'm just going to pray for for the situation and, and know that you are represented in uh, what we're praying for and about this morning, but I just invite you to, to stand where you're at and uh, just so that I can kind of put uh, a name to, to a face or um, to a situation a little bit. Um, just welcome you to do that. Amen. Hmm. All right. Let's just bow our hearts together in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, first of all give you praise, God, that you are such an amazing, awesome God, Lord, that you have eternity. God planned out. You have you have eternity in your hand. You have each and every life in your hand. You know every situation. You know everything about every situation. Why, the when, the where, the how, um, the conclusion, the reason, Lord. The things that we don't know, you know, and you know them intimately. And uh, Lord, I'm, it's so overwhelming to think that um, you care for each and every situation. You care about it even more than we do, Lord. Uh, your word gives us such clarity on that issue that um, it, it matters to you even more than it matters to us, Lord. And it's hard to even imagine that, Lord, knowing the situations represented here this morning, the pain that's felt and the concern that's um, on our minds, Lord that somehow, God, you care even more about it than, than we do ourselves. 
in that, in that care and in that concern, Lord, you have a plan. And uh, we know that your word tells us that you are working things out for good for those that love you and called according to your purpose, that you are using each and every situation um, to bring yourself glory, to bring more recognition to Jesus, Lord, to point people to a deeper trust and faith in you, to, to, uh, to do something in this world that is beyond the norm. And God, we're trusting you in that, Lord. We're, we, we don't choose the outcome, uh, Lord, we're, but we are requesting. We thank you that your word tells us that uh, we should not be anxious about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition, with thankfulness, present our requests to you. And the peace of Christ will guard our hearts. Lord, we, we thank you for that. That we can request anything, Lord. We can, we can come to your throne boldly, confidently, and, and lay it before you. And Lord, we request healing for Aaron, Lord. We, we request um, your blessing. Lord, your strength to be exerted, Lord, in that situation. Lord, we, we lift up all the, the lives that are represented here right now that are standing um, in humility, standing in confidence, standing in faith, that you are a God who knows and cares and is able. And so we thank you that we can just present these things to you. Pray for healing where it's needed. We pray for encouragement where it's needed, where there's um, a desire for an answer, Lord. I pray that you would give it where there's a need for comfort, Lord. I pray that you would surround that person, Lord, with your care where there's uh, a decision to be made, Father. I pray that you would help each and every one to make it. Lord, I just pray for your light to shine on it all. Again, for your glory, for our sake, trusting your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So we're uh, um, going to talk about John the Baptist here. And uh, as we do, okay, last week I said some point in this series I'm going to dive into his life. Um, and then um, this week, just by coincidence, okay, uh, I happen to be in uh, reading through the Gospel of Luke um, I've been reading through the Gospels, okay, one after the next. I don't usually do that. What I usually do is I'll read a Gospel, and then I'll go and I'll read um, somewhere else, and I'll come back to another Gospel. But this time, because I'm preaching through the life of Christ, I decide I'm just going to read through all the Gospels, one after the next. And I'm in the Gospel of Luke. I'm reading chapter 3, and um, it's all about John the Baptist. And uh, I thought, you know what, I think the Lord is kind of uh, pushing it that this is the, the time to deal with John the Baptist. And uh, so that's why last week I said, yeah, at some point we're going to talk about him, and then it just happened to be this week. Now, um, the, the uh, issue here, I cannot stand this. Uh, it is bugging me. So I'm going to grab a handheld mic. And Deb, 
testing one, two, all right. Okay. I may love or hate using a handheld mic, but I'm going to use it today. Okay, so um, when we're talking about John the Baptist, one of the things that, that pops into my mind is uh, what Matthew uh, says in chapter 11. And I think we need to look at John the Baptist's life through this lens, okay, in particular. It says that uh, truly, uh, I say to you, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. This is his words, his testimony about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so our Lord Jesus says that there's never been in the history of the world anyone that is greater than John the Baptist. Now, to me, that's kind of a an alarming or a very significant thing for Jesus to say about somebody. Would you agree? That he's saying that, uh, think about any person that has ever lived in the history of the world, uh, John the Baptist is greater than that person. And you could talk about and think about anybody in history, but let's just um, give our boundaries to the biblical history. Uh, and let's just start with some of the significant people in, in, in the Bible stories. Noah, okay, uh, he, he single-handedly was the only person on the earth during the time of uh, the flood that was found to be worthy or faithful, uh, who trusted God, that God used to spare the human race, that you, you and I would not be here if it weren't for Noah trusting God. A pretty significant character, would you agree? So John the Baptist, greater than him, okay? He's greater than, than Noah. Uh, fast forward a little bit to Abraham, father of faith, of any faith in, in God. He knew God when nobody else seemed to know God, trusted God when nobody else seemed to trust God. He is the father of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are the, the people that God's going to bring about the Messiah and the salvation of the world. And uh, he says, Jesus says, John the Baptist, greater than Abraham. Greater than Moses. Moses is the person who's going to deliver uh, God's people from slavery. He's going to be the person that God talks to face to face like a friend talks to a friend. And uh, he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. He's going to receive the law. Um, he's going to be faithful and humble uh, in all of God's house. In fact, um, Moses talks to God so intimately that his face glows. He has to wear a veil over his face because people are freaking out that he's... Uh, uh, glowing. He's a nightlight, okay? They're like, they're, that, it, that would freak you out too, wouldn't it? If you saw somebody's face just glowing walking around. He wore a veil over his face because people couldn't handle the fact that just being in the presence of God that intimately changed his external appearance. Now, there's a whole application here of like spending time with the Lord. Would you agree? Like that could be a whole sermon. But John the Baptist, greater than Moses, greater than the judges. Now, well, most of the judges were kind of weird characters, but um, they were pretty significant characters in the Bible. Uh, you have Samuel, who is the last judge, prophet, priest. Um, John the Baptist, greater than, than Samuel, the one who anointed David. David, who killed Goliath, who was the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, the one that God pinpointed as his family line is going to produce the Messiah, John the Baptist, greater than him, greater than Elijah. Elijah, who it was so 
trusting of God, godly and faithful, that God said, you know what? You don't have to die. You get to go to heaven without dying. And went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Uh, John the Baptist, greater than Elijah, greater than Daniel, greater than Job, greater than you name it. Okay, Any person in history, any person in the Bible that you can think of and name, Jesus says John the Baptist is greater than him. You think, well, <laughs> how is that? You ever, you ever think about that? How is that? How could that be? I mean, these are people that whole books of the Bible are written just to tell their story. And then we have John the Baptist that we have a little bit of information here and a little bit of information there, and then he's gone. But John the Baptist, according to Jesus, is greater than any of them, and here's why. Okay, All of those people, no matter who they were, they were servants in God's house, which was significant. Okay, That was a great thing. But John the Baptist is said to be the best man in the wedding. Who's the groom? Doesn't matter who all the other guests are. Doesn't matter who all the servants are. John the Baptist is the one that God chose to step into that role to usher Jesus into that place to be the groom at the wedding. Okay, and so Jesus says he is the greatest. Now let's take a look at uh, John the Baptist's life. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. Um, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Luke 3, starting in verse 15. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. I'm going to get just a little bit more comfortable here. This is the extent of it, I promise. All right, Luke 3 says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. This is so important. The people in Jesus' day were more inclined to believe and think that John the Baptist was the Messiah than they were that Jesus was the Messiah. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Listen to what it says next. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. And Father, we thank you for your word today, God, as we come humbly to learn from uh, your word and from the life of John, that uh, chosen vessel, uh, the, the prophet who would uh, be the greatest ever born among women, but um, thank you, Lord, that your word says something um, even more alarming to our hearts, Lord, that the least in the kingdom is greater than he. And God, we thank you that uh, somehow, by some choice of your own, by some miracle, Lord, that uh, you have determined 
that we who trust Jesus are so significant in your eyes. Lord, that we get to be brothers and sisters with Christ. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we continue to allow your word to do its work and your Holy Spirit to do its work, Lord, today that we would not uh, forget, not take for granted uh, the great privilege it is to be seen as valuable in your eyes. And Lord, let us point back to you, Lord, with everything that we have and everything that we are, that we would live a life, Lord, that points to you, glorifies you, and lets people know that our value is not in our deeds, it's not in our accomplishments, our successes, or anything that we have, Lord, it's our value is in you. That you said, you love us, and we are simply responding to that love uh, by loving you back, Lord. We, we do today. We give you all glory and thanks that we can, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, before we dive into John's message, you have to understand a little bit about John, who he is. Uh, how many of you have heard uh, the story of his miraculous birth? Okay. If you've been in the church for very long, uh, almost every year around Christmas time, the Advent starts with the the uh, proclamation of John the Baptist's birth, the, or his uh, the miracle surrounding his family, and so. Uh, you've probably heard about that, and then we kind of dismiss John. Uh, maybe he pops up in the story of Jesus here and there, but we don't really talk much more about him. But you have to understand a little bit about John the Baptist's birth uh, because it really does give you a significant clue into who he is. Uh, so what happens is that John the Baptist's family are uh, priests. Zechariah and Elizabeth are both uh, Levites and not only Levites, but also of the, the tribe of or the family line of Aaron. Now, the difference between a, a Levite and a priest, okay, you see this in Scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about this, about the Good Samaritan. Somebody gets beat up and left alongside of the road, and a Levite passes by, and then he says a priest passes by. You ever remember that story? You're like, well, what's the difference between these two? The difference is that uh, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. What that means is the particular family line of Aaron are the only ones who are, are allowed to serve in the temple. They are the priests. They can be the high priest. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are actually from the family line of Aaron, and they are serving. And so Zechariah goes into the temple, and he's uh, offering the incense, and here's where he encounters Gabriel, the angel. And Gabriel asks him or tells him that he's going to have uh, a son, and this son is going to be born uh, from Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, how old that is. How many of you feel like you're advanced in years? Okay. She, she was advanced in years, whatever that means. It just means she's too old to have babies at this point. And so he asks a dumb question. Okay. Literally asks a dumb question. So, some people say there's, there's, there are no dumb questions. There are dumb questions. He asked him, how, how should I know that this is going to happen? And uh, Gabriel says, you ask a dumb question, then you're going to get a dumb answer. He makes him, ironically, deaf and dumb. 
He can't speak. He can't hear. He comes out of the temple. He's motioning and making weird noises. And they're like, something's happened here. So what happens, though, is that Gabriel tells Zechariah that the baby that is going to be miraculously conceived is going to have the Holy Spirit from the womb. Fast forward six months. Mary's pregnant with the Messiah. She comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And as soon as she says, hey, John the Baptist in Elizabeth leaps for joy. And Elizabeth supernaturally knows that the child within her knows, he knows, that the Messiah is in Mary. And she says, as soon as I heard your voice, the baby within me leaped for joy because he knew that the mother of the Lord had spoken to me. And and this is what I'm really getting at here is that John the Baptist, from the point of conception, had the Holy Spirit. That's a that's a big deal. Hold on to that thought, okay, for a minute as you uh, understand a little bit more about John the Baptist. John the Baptist also, uh, he was said that he would not drink alcohol uh, for his entire life. So what we imply by that is that he may have been, maybe not, but he may have been a Nazarite perpetually. Okay, a Nazarite, that's a vow that you can take. There were only two other perpetual Nazarites in the Bible. This is pop quiz. If you were at 8 o'clock, then, then you don't get to participate. Okay, but who was another Nazarite from birth? Samson, okay? And then there was one other in the Old Testament that there was a Nazarite from birth going once, $20 on the line. No? Okay. Did I hear something? Ah, uh, then you owe me $20. It is um, Samuel. Samuel. Uh, those were the only two people in the Old Testament that were perpetual Nazarites. Now, a Nazarite vow means that you don't drink alcohol or anything from the vine. So grapes, raisins, nothing from the vine, no wine, no alcohol, uh, that you never cut your hair. Okay? So that's why it was usually a short-term vow. You might take it for a month or, or a year, but you wouldn't do it for your whole life. I mean, can you imagine 30 years of never cutting your hair, what, what John the Baptist looked like? I mean, does everybody remember Captain Caveman from... <laughs> Just me and Mike. Okay. Think Captain Caveman, okay? So he, he can't uh, touch anything dead, um, but uh, those are the things, those are the qualifications for a Nazarite vow. John the Baptist probably looked pretty wild. And then he's wearing a uh, uh, cloak or, or garment of camel's hair. That has nothing to do with the Nazarite vow. Uh, that has everything to do with his knowledge and his understanding that he is the Elijah who is to come. Because guess who else wore a garment of camel's hair? Everybody should be able to say, Elijah. Okay? He knew that he was the Elijah that was to come. He, he knew his place in the ministry, in the plan and the purpose of God. He understood it completely. And he knew Jesus. He recognized him when he was in the womb that he was the Messiah. Um, John the Baptist had a significant ministry. I already said as we're reading, that there are people who are asking this, but questioning, is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Um, he never did a miracle. 
Never did. And that's not a problem, okay? There are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament that didn't do any miracles. They preached, they prophesied, uh, they, they expounded on God's word, they, they called people out on sin. John the Baptist is, is following uh, very much like any other prophet of the Old Testament. There were some that did miracles, and then many that didn't. John the Baptist doesn't do any miracles, but he has a very significant ministry. And so his message, and you have to kind of back up in Luke chapter 3 to, to understand his message. His message is that just because you're religious, this is the essential boiling it down. Just because you're religious doesn't really mean that you're right with God. How many religious people do you think that that was a shock to? And maybe upset. Like, but they accepted that message. In fact, um, what he is doing, he's basically repeating uh, what Isaiah says. Uh, Isaiah says, you know, don't say that uh, you have Abraham as your father. Well, this is what Isaiah says. Um, you people, uh, you fast. You say, why have we fasted and you don't see it? And why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? This is Isaiah 58 uh, verse uh, 3. Uh, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a, the fast that I choose a day just for a person to humble himself? Now, that seems like a pretty religious thing to do, to fast and humble yourself. Like, would, wouldn't you say, okay, in the Baptist church, um, we have some distinctions. One is we like to eat. How many of you have fasted in the last year? That's what I figured. One or two. We, we, fasting is like, really? I got to do that? If, if we were to say, okay, the entire church, we're going to fast one day a week for the next month uh, in order to seek the Lord, do you think that would be a very significant religious thing to do? It's like that. And how many of you would do it? Being honest. Well, that's pretty cool. All right. We might do this. Now, the Israelites in Isaiah's day, were they loved to be religious. They loved to go to the temple. They loved to worship and to fast and to, to praise God and sing songs and do all those things. And Isaiah says this in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose, this is from God, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover him, and, and not to hide yourself from your own people? He's saying, basically, be religious. Go worship, enjoy the word and, and praising and praying and all that stuff and fasting. But make sure that you're actually living it out in your daily life or else you're just a hypocrite. John the Baptist is taking that same message and he's saying virtually the same thing. You love to be religious, but you don't love to actually practice your faith in your day-to-day -day life. The people were coming to him. They're like, what, what can we do? What should we do? If going to church isn't enough, then what are we, what are we supposed to do? Because I, I don't want to get too preachy on you, but 
as church people, okay, we've got church people here, going to church ain't the problem, right? It's that that's all we're doing, some of us. We're going to church. We like the songs. We endure the message. <laughs> but Monday comes, and what are we doing? Same thing we, we're, we've been doing. Same thing as the world does. But we love going to church. We don't mind going to church. And it feels like for a lot of people that that's a pretty significant sacrifice that I went to church on Sunday. That should be enough. I gave God that hour or two on Sunday. What more does he really want? Well, what does he want? He wants your life. John the Baptist, people were coming to him. They said, what are we supposed to do with this? And he says, um, if you have two shirts, um, share with him who has none. Who, whoever has food to do likewise. He's just saying exactly what Isaiah said 700 years ago. Like, here's the message. Like, we already have it. Just do that. And then uh, people were coming to him, tax collectors. Uh, what are we supposed to do? He says, just don't collect any more taxes than you have to. <laughs> you don't have to quit your job. The Bible tells you that um, it's okay to be in the position that you were when you became saved and continue to do it, but do it with integrity and to glorify God. As long as your job is not inherently sinful, okay? So if you were a drug dealer before you became a Christian and you became a Christian, then guess what? I guess you do have to quit your job, okay? And there are a few professions that are like that. Mostly, though, if you were a carpenter or school teacher or an accountant or whatever, do that. Just do it in a godly way to represent Christ, amen? That's, that's what he's saying, but that's not really the essence of what he's really trying to say. What he's trying to say is that don't just be religious, be godly. Because if you're divorcing your regular life from your faith, then, then God is not listening on Sunday morning to your prayer if on Monday morning you're not living it out. So that's his message. It uh, strikes home with people. People are getting it. Um, and to such a degree that Herod uh, hears that John is criticizing him for doing what is immoral and illegal, taking his uh, brother's wife to be his own wife, and he gets put in prison. Uh, but that was his message. Now, the thing is that his witness or his testimony about Jesus is what we find next, which is that he says this, um, I'm baptizing you with water. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But he says, the, the, he who is coming is mightier than I, um, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Um, in John, he says it a little differently. He says in John chapter 3, 29, the one who has the bride, okay, Jesus, is the bridegroom, uh, the friend of the bridegroom, that's John the Baptist, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now that Jesus has come, he has told people, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, he must increase, I must decrease. What John is saying, though, okay, in, in every gospel, it is recorded that John says he's not worthy to either untie Jesus' sandals or carry them. He's saying that Jesus is the point. He's the greatest. 
John is just a servant. He's not worthy. And, and here's the reality for you and me, though, is that even though John had a deep understanding of his, his role, that he is, Jesus is great and he is not, he still performed his ministry with excellence. John had a significant ministry. He had a public, professional ministry. He was gathering crowds of thousands of people, baptizing people every day in, in this understanding, this repentance of what it is they were supposed to do. He was professing it so loudly, so clearly, so often that the world around him thought that maybe he was the Messiah. Okay? He did not hesitate to do all that God had called him to do. And here's the application. Okay, I just want to bring this to your own footsteps. Sometimes we have this false humility because we'll, we'll totally agree with John the Baptist. Oh, Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals and I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. I'm not, I'm not worthy to do the most menial thing. And, and what we tend to mean by that is... I don't have to do anything for Jesus because I'm just not worthy of it, so I won't do anything. And the truth of the Word of God and the truth of every believer, okay, every person who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, you've also been given the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift. And that gift has enabled you to do something for the kingdom. And it is false humility to say, well, I'm not worthy, and so I'm not going to do anything. We'll leave that to the professionals, to the, you know, the pastors. I, people call me pastor all the time. I don't like the term. Because I think that in a lot of people's minds, it just kind of separates what I do from what you do. And what the Word of God says is that you and I each have a ministry and a calling. And I will do my calling the best that I can with the power of God's Holy Spirit as He gives me opportunity. But that doesn't mean that you cannot or should not or don't have to do what you've been called to do. Amen? If you are a believer, you have a calling and you have a ministry and you need to do it. Because nobody else can do it for you. John the Baptist wasn't falsely humble. He was radically humble, but he wasn't falsely humble. He did what God called him to do, and we need to do the same. And so here's what's bizarre about that is that you fast forward, he gets arrested, and then uh, while he's in jail, um, he questions. You, You know this story? While he's in jail, he questions Jesus whether or not he is the Christ. And, and here's what he says. He sends messengers. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is Luke chapter 7. Are you the one that was to come, or should we look for another? Does that baffle you? When he was in the womb, he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. How is it 30 years later he's questioning that? And the reason why is because of what he said. He said, he will, Jesus will, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What that means, those are two distinctly different things. Okay, that's not the same thing. He's not using a synonym here. 
What he's saying is that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he will bless some with the power of the Holy Spirit who receive him. And he will also judge those who reject him in fire. Eternal damnation. And John the Baptist believed, like all the people seemed to believe at that time and that day, that when the Messiah came, he was going to radically upset everything. He was going to take charge. He was going to bless those. He was going to bless his people, the Jewish people, and then the rest of the world would fall into submission and be judged for its wickedness. Okay, that's what they seem to understand. Jesus's ministry looked a lot like John the Baptist's ministry. There was. Um, Again, in every gospel, an occasion where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? You know that one of the answers every time was people are saying that, that he was, guess who? John the Baptist. Well, how could that be? Here's John the Baptist over here. How could I be John the Baptist? They beheaded John the Baptist. In fact, Herod actually believed after he beheaded John the Baptist, when he heard about Jesus and what he was doing, that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers were at work in him. Like I said, John the Baptist had this moment of doubt because what he saw in Jesus' ministry was it was basically a lot like his own ministry, that his message was a lot like his own message, that Jesus wasn't taking over the world like that he thought he should. And, And here's what I just need to tell you about that. The Holy Spirit in John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Knew it. Knew it absolutely. Knew it confidently and completely. Just like the Holy Spirit in you confesses with your own spirit that you have a relationship with God the Father. You, a saved person with the Holy Spirit in you, knows that you know that you know that you're saved. Amen? I don't have to convince you of it. Nobody else has to convince you of it. Nobody can convince you otherwise. It is the Holy Spirit in you that confesses with your own spirit that you are a person who belongs to God. Yet, in your flesh, sometimes you doubt. Would you agree? In your flesh, sometimes God does not meet your expectation of what you think he should do in your life or in your situation, or for that person, or why did this happen, and how come I'm struggling with this, and how come I'm dealing with that, and how come I keep falling back into that sin, how come life is hard, why aren't the things that I prayed for coming true, why, and and people, even though in their spirit, the Holy Spirit within them says, I belong to God, and he's got plans, and he's going to make it happen the way that he wants to, but in our flesh, we want things to happen the way that we want them to, and the gap between those two things is where we doubt. And John the Baptist experienced the same thing that most of us experience at some point, if not frequently. He's not doing what I expected. And listen, I'm just going to tell you this. <laughs> you got to get over your expectations of what you think you deserve from God or what you think he should do for you. And you got to trust that he does have a plan, he knows where he's going with it, it may not all work out just as comfortably as you might want it to, but he's going to glorify his name, and he's going to bring you along with him in that. 
Amen? And we'll go through some hard stuff together. He doesn't promise anywhere that you're going to avoid hard things. If it were in there, I would be teaching that all the time. He doubts, and yet, in the end, I believe, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who do not take offense at me. (laughs) Don't you love that? Just tell John what I'm doing. I'm healing the blind. I'm healing the sick. I'm bringing, you know, people back to life. Right before this occasion where they asked him if he was the Christ, he had just raised somebody from the dead. Just go tell John that and just tell him, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. And the world will take offense. The world is almost guaranteed to take offense at Jesus and to his followers. Okay? We, as believers, need to trust. He's got a plan. Now, here's the final thing. Okay? In the end, when John the Baptist is beheaded, Jesus is told, and I'll, if you're like me, you, you would believe and understand he already knew. Did he need a messenger to come tell him John the Baptist been beheaded? I don't think so. But when he was told, when he found out, when he learned, when he understood John the Baptist had been killed, Jesus tried to get away and spend some time grieving the loss of John the Baptist. And, and here's, and I'm kind of going to spiritualize this a little bit, but here's what I come to understand, and I believe Scripture teaches this all the way through, is that God cares about your life. He cared about John the Baptist. It impacted him to know what had happened to John the Baptist. It was of importance to him. Your life is of importance to God. It matters to him. He's not sitting by just not caring about what's happening to you. He cares. He has a plan. He has a design and a desire for your life. It said, and I told you this already, that John the Baptist was the greatest born among women, but then Jesus says, the least in the kingdom is greater than than him. Do you know why? The whole thing, history, God's relationship with humanity, all of it is pictured as basically a wedding. And all those other servants of the Old Testament were servants. John the Baptist was the best man. Who's the groom? Who's the bride? Where's the focus of the groom? Where's his heart? What's the apple of his eye? What is he desiring? What is he thinking about? What is his... His whole intention is toward the church, to you and me. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what happens is that you receive the Holy Spirit, you become Christ's brother, sister. You're one with... I mean, all these different things are coming together in this one thing but he says that you're the bride of Christ. He cares about you so much. He just longs for us to love him as much as he loves us. Amen?
and the issue is that we tend to forget just how much we are loved. We, we look at faith, religion, and all the rest of it as like rules to follow and obligations to fulfill. And God is looking at you like somebody that he cherishes with all his heart. He's just inviting you to participate in that relationship with him. Not, not to follow a program, but to just fall into that love relationship. To dwell in it. Amen? He cares about your life. Even more than you do. And Father, we thank you that you love us that much, Lord. That the value that you place on us is so overwhelming overwhelmingly high. Lord, we don't always feel that. Sometimes we feel pretty down, alone, abandoned, insignificant. Lord, I I pray, God, that we would understand the blessing of even being called to just carry your shoes Whatever that looks like, Lord, you've, you've got a place for us in the kingdom. You've got a plan and you've got a purpose for us in this world, God, that you've set apart for us. You, you said that you've created good works in advance for us to do, Lord. Help us to step into that with courage, with strength, with confidence in you, not in ourselves pointing people back to you. God, the only hope this world has is you. And the messengers of that hope is us. And we love you that we get to be part of that plan. Help us, Lord, to step into it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just invite you this morning to let God confirm what his word is saying to your heart. I don't have to convince you of it. God himself is more than able and more than willing to do that. If you just say, God, is this is this true? You just ask him, is this true? He'll confirm it to your heart. And if he does, and this is the first time that he has done that, would you just come and just say, God, I'm going to give you my life. Lay it down here at the altar. Um, It's yours. Help me to follow you. However, wherever, whenever you call me. Amen? If you belong to him and you know that you do, and you just want to recommit your life to the Lord, I'm just going to invite you to do that too. Say, God, I've been going my own way. I'm ready to get back on track with you. Amen? Let's stand and sing.